Ah, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're new here, I'd like to just welcome you very much. Um, lovely to have you. If you haven't met me, I'm the pastor here, so feel free to come up after and say good day. I'd really love that. If I don't get to you, come and get to me. Um, be really nice to meet you. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your grace, your mercy, your blessing, your peace. Father God, the, the spiritual blessings that you give to us, Lord. We just thank you, Father God, that we have every spiritual blessing. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus died on that cross for us, that, that we might live a life of freedom, Father. Lord, not bound by anything. Lord, we just pray this morning your Holy Spirit would just touch us, Lord, and free us into the things that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay. We've been um, doing a bit of a relationship series for quite a while now, and we're just going to continue on in that. And we've looked at husbands and marriage and kids, and we're going to be looking at wives this week. Um, what's a godly wife look like? What, what is it that I need to be as a good wife? Um, because, you know what, marriage is a partnership, Right? There's some things that the husbands are asked to do and we looked at those things like love your wife. Love your wife this way, the way that Christ loved the church. Okay, and what, how did Christ love the church? He gave his life up for it. It wasn't a love that was a professing of love. It wasn't a love just in giving gifts or um, spending time. It was an actual pouring out of life. And when we looked at the word head, we we looked at how, as a head, what does a head do? Well, a head actually was considered to be the life force of the body. So everyone knows that if your head's missing, you're dead, right? True? Okay, so the head was actually considered to be the life force. So if your head was separated from the body, there's no life. And as a husband, that's what God is asking you to be to your wife and to your family, Not to be some authoritative boss, and we looked at that. Husbands, you're not your wife's boss as such. There's an authority that God gives, an accountability that God gives, and there's an order for that, which we are going to look at probably next week now. I was thinking about it today, and I'll probably move that to next week. So we're going to be looking more in depth at Ephesians chapter 5. And what does it actually mean about submitting to your husband? What does it mean to do that and to... Give due honour to your husband. What does that actually mean? And sometimes these things are hard to talk about because of the world we live in. It's, it's like, you, you know what? There is absolute equality in Jesus. Absolute equality. And we think that when we submit or allow ourselves to be in that type of relationship, that somehow we're making ourselves less of a person. But Jesus said to the husband, you've got to understand your wife, you've got to look after her, you've got to live with her with understanding because she is a joint heir of you or with you in life that Christ has given. You see, a wife does not get any less from God than a husband. A wife does not have a lesser relationship with God than a husband. A wife cannot hear less from God than her husband. We're all equal. A worker cannot hear any less than his boss or her boss. In fact, a child can hear from God just as much as an adult if they're tuned in to what he's saying. What God says is anybody, whoever seeks me, whoever follows after me with all their heart, they're going to find me. 
There's no difference whether you're Jew, Gentile, slave, free, woman, man. And that's what I love about the cross. Everybody is equal at the foot of that cross because Jesus' blood was shed for everybody. Not just one person, not just one race, not just one gender, not just one position in life, but everybody is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's lifted all of us up to be joint heirs with Jesus. We're equal. So when we start to unpack that next week, I'm just gonna, we're going to be challenged for sure. There's no doubt there. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged in how we treat our wives and how wives respond to husbands. But God made us differently and God made men to live with respect. They did surveys that showed 85% of men were sure that their wife loved them but not sure that she respected them. Him, them, them. (laughs) And then the other way around, when wives are surveyed, it's like, yeah, I know he respects what I do, but I'm not sure if he loves me. And the highest majority of those were, I'm not sure that he loves me. You see, God made us with different wiring. How, How God made us is how we are. When God created man... He created him in his image and then he took from man and created woman. And he placed in woman different stuff. Because when we come together, we complete each other. But men run on respect. And I've I've mentioned that before. Why do men want to spend time at the pub or at the sports field or at work? Because there they find some respect. They, They see that people are respecting them for what they're doing. And if a wife does not respect her husband, he will feel diminished, he will feel unfulfilled in what he's doing because that is how he gets some of his self-worth, seriously. But that's placed in him by God and we're going to really unpack that next week. So if you're interested in finding out about that, please come next week and we'll look at that. But this week I really wanted to look at the Proverbs 31 woman, which we've heard about. This is basically what they call the virtuous woman or the virtuous wife. This is what a wife will look like. Okay, So we're going to look at Proverbs 31, verse 10 to, I think, till the end anyway. Verse 10 to the end. And really just have a look through that. And I want you to be challenged. I really want you to be challenged about your life as a wife. But not only this, we've got to understand the image that God gave of the church and Jesus, right? When it talks about submission of a wife, it says submit to your husband as the church does to Christ. What does that actually mean? Submission is a, a decision that you make. It is where you are deciding to give yourself over to an accountability to someone else, to accept their admonition and their advice. Okay? So... When we start looking through this Proverbs 31, blokes, guess what? This totally talks about you as well. Because this is talking about you in relation to Christ. If we understand that the marriage relationship is a a reflection of or, or the relationship of the church is a reflection of the wife and husband relationship, we've got to understand when we read through these things, like when we're starting to read through Proverbs 31 here, This isn't just talking to ladies that are wives. This is actually talking to us as a church. 
Because we have to decide that we're going to submit to what God wants. We're going to say, okay, God, what does it actually look like to be a Christian? To follow after you, God, to, to allow myself to be your bride. To allow myself to be your bride. And quite often we can read things in the Bible and we just want to apply them to everybody else, don't we? We decide that that was for them and, gee, I wish so-and-so was here. That, that would have been a really good message for them this week. It would have really changed their life. And what we can sometimes do is put it on to someone else. Or we can hear things that are difficult because, you know what, it is really, really hard to change. Really hard to change. In fact, there's a Proverbs, and you've heard of it, that can a leopard change its spots? That actually comes from Proverbs. Can that happen? Can a man change who he is? Can a woman change who she is? It's almost impossible. And when, when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler that came and saw him, this is a guy who had everything. He had money and wealth and he was actually quite a good guy. You know, When Jesus challenged him on, are you doing the right thing? Basically, he listed the commandments. He goes, yeah, I've done them. Ever since I was a kid, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. Jesus said to him, well, then this is what you need to do. This is your situation. You've got a lot of stuff. And what I want you to do is give that up. Go and sell it, give it to the poor, and I want you to come and follow me. Interestingly, it says that he went away sad. Okay, just unpack that a little bit. This guy had everything, right? He had riches. He was living a good life. And when Jesus said, look, this is what I want you to do, if you want eternal life, sell everything you've got, come and follow me. Now, why would you go away sad? If you're going back to the thing that you love so much, which is obviously his possessions. Because you see, there's a greater truth than what we have sometimes. There's things in your life that you might think uh, bring you happiness or that's the way you need to act to retain control or um, something like that. And when Jesus comes to you, and, and it's like Thomas was talking this morning, it's like, we don't always get this call, listen, I want you to sell your house and your car and I want you to head off to Zimbabwe and I want you to start a mission there. And you're like, yeah, okay, God, I'll surrender that. Every day there is a surrender in our life to the things of God or not. There is a surrender or not. And that is totally our choice. And when we start to look at these things like submission, okay, it's a choice. When you think of a a wife submitting to a husband, it's a choice. Why? Because did Jesus come down and did he lord it over us? If that's the same relationship. Did he come down and force us to believe in him? (coughs) Could you get me some water, please? (coughs) He didn't, did he? He didn't come down with a strong arm and, and, and hold people on the ground and say, believe in me, like that story we told last week, punch them in the nose till they confess. <coughs> Not the way he worked at all. How did Christ come? He came with such love. And husbands, when we start looking at that, you think about that. You want your wife to be submissive to you? What did Jesus do? 
for the church, seriously, thinking about it. Because in the same way that the church submits to Christ, that's the way wives submit to husbands. Is it then all up to the husband? No, it's not. Absolutely not. But there is a verse that says we only love God because he first loved us. There's also a verse that talks about if you don't look after your family, if you don't provide for them, you're worse than an unbeliever. You believe in God, but you're not providing for your family. You're not looking after their social, physical, emotional and financial needs. And God was very, very strict in those words when you think about it. It's like, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're saying you're believing in me, but you're not loving the way that Jesus loved the church. And so we submit to Christ. Why do we do that, guys? Because there comes a time when we understand Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, had nothing to do with me. He poured out his love and he offered me a way into relationship. And men, that is where submission will start in your family. When you love your wife that way, if you don't look after her, you are worse than an unbeliever. That's powerful stuff. If she's upset and you're not comforting, you're worse than an unbeliever. If she's hungry and you're not feeding her, you're worse than an unbeliever. If she needs friends and you're holding her to yourself and not letting her have her social needs met, you're worse than an unbeliever. That crushes me when I think about that. Because it starts a place, that responsibility on us, to love our wife the same way that Christ loved the church, to make the church a beautiful, shining example of God's grace to this world. And husbands, again, I know this is going back over what we talked about, but we are meant to be making our wives a beautiful, shining example of God's grace working in our life. And if we're not, we are not acting as Christ does to the church. And if we keep that in our mind, number one, you've got to act like Jesus acted towards me. And man, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is alive and vibrant, you will never, ever, ever love your wife the right way. Never. You will love her because guess what? If you're not a Christian, you can love your wife dearly. You can love your husband dearly. You can love your children dearly. But Christians, we're called to higher love. We're called to even higher love. A love that comes from Christ himself. And husband, if you're not reading the word and being challenged in your attitudes and your emotions and the way you treat other people, wives, it's exactly the same thing. But husbands, I'm talking to you again today. If you do not do that, if you don't read the word of God and then apply it, because you know what? It's really hard for a leopard to change its spots. If you don't apply it, there's going to be things inside of you that will not let you love the way Jesus loved the church and we'll never get there. True. But guess what? We've got to make progress towards that. And when Jesus talked to that rich man and he walked away sad, the disciples said to him, well, who can be saved? Because Jesus said, it's really hard for a rich man to get to heaven. 
And they said, well, who can be saved? In other words, how can we even change? How can we change anything in our life? Jesus said this, with man, it's impossible, but with God, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. And if you need to change, if you've got anger issues, if you've got jealousy issues, if you've got control issues, guess what? That can change. Because Jesus came and he died for your sin and to set you free from the power of it. Not just to cleanse you, not just to say, yeah, I'm going to make you all better. But he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you power over sin. That's pretty big. Because it means that we now have no excuse to sin because we are now in control of what we do. And we are given this message that doesn't matter who you are, Whoever you decide that you're going to obey, whoever you decide that you're going to be a slave to, that's who you're going to be a slave to. Your decision. Because guess what? I've dealt with sin. It's gone. It's out of here. I died on the cross for you and you're free. You are free. You are free to make any choice you want. And you don't have to do the wrong thing. You don't have to remain in jealousy, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Whatever it is that's in your marriage, in your life, you do not have to remain in it because Jesus Christ set you free and you have the power over it. All right, let's go to Proverbs 31 then. Spent long enough yabbing on. Proverbs 31. So I want you to look at it in the two ways, guys. Look at it as if you're a wife, but also look at it as your relationship to Jesus. Okay, if you're a man today, don't just go, oh, tuning out now. Neil's talking to the women. Cool. Hopefully you'll tell them off a bit. (laughs) Tell them how to behave, you know. Give them some pointers. No, I want you to start applying this to your life as well. Okay, how am I actually responding to God? Okay, let's start reading from verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant ship, bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect the field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fibre. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspread. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. 
That's a pretty powerful picture of a, a woman, isn't it? What a woman can be like. And firstly, number one, just as we talked about the husband, a woman who fears the Lord is the one who's going to be greatly praised. Ladies, fear God. Fear God. Make him your number one priority in your life. Don't make your husband your number one priority. Definitely don't make your kids your number one priority. Make God the first thing in your life. Make sure that he's the one who directs you. Make sure he's the one whose love you're actually relying on. Because without a doubt, at some time your husband will let you down. At some time he won't be the perfect man that he's meant to be, just as you are not going to be the perfect woman. And if you start to find your self-worth and your meaning only in your husband or your children or anything else, you're going to live a miserable life. Because things change in the world. There's days when maybe your husband isn't as nice as he should have been. Maybe your kids muck up and you feel that they don't love you. Or maybe your kid says to you, I hate you. That happens. Happened once in our house. That was it. It was banned. Just can't say it. (laughs) Don't let them say it. But there's days when your kids will say, I hate you. Or they'll muck up and they'll do things that hurt your heart. They'll break your heart because they're not acting how they should, not because you want them to act that way, but because you love them so much, you don't want them to be hurt. And so what that can do is affect your own self-worth, your own meaning in life. You're thinking, I'm a useless mother, I'm a useless wife, my husband doesn't love me, everything's bad. Number one, get that relationship with God established because guess what? His love is the only love that will always be true, will always be faithful, will always be there, whether you're good or bad, whether you get up in the morning and you look a bit ugly in the mirror, God's love is always there. All right? And we cannot base our life around those things, about how we feel and and how we think we look. And this is why he's saying here that a virtuous woman, down the bottom there, charm is deceptive, beauty doesn't last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. A woman like that understands who she is in Christ. She knows that Christ died for her and set her free. She knows that all her value is in Christ and it's inherent. It doesn't ever change. Never. Never changes. Never changes. God always loved you, always did and always will. What a good God he is. So what's God saying to a lady here through Proverbs? And again, I just emphasise, and to us as a church, that there is great value in being a virtuous and capable person. Someone who not only has good character, but develops skills, develops their life. They, They work on who they are. Because there's a trust that can then be placed in that person. I really want us to look at verse 12 for a little while here. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life.
Check yourself right now and think about attitudes. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. To be a good wife, you've got to have this attitude that I'm going to actually look after my husband and I'm going to bring him good. I'm going to honour him with my life this way. That I'm not going to harm him and I'm going to make it a constant thing in my life. That I'm going to speak well of my husband. I'm not going to bag him out across town with every woman's group that I go to and tell them what a rat he is. But I'm going to honour him with my words and with my actions. That my heart actually is before my husband. Just as a husband is meant to make the wife everything that she's meant to be for God, a wife is also to do the same thing. She's got to desire the best for her husband. She's got to work towards lifting him up before God as well and making him the best man he can be, the best man that God has called him to be. And that is sometimes really hard. Why is it hard? Because guess what? As I said before, your husband is not always the best person. Your husband is not always loving and kind, even though hopefully he tries to be. But God wants us to work on our attitudes. This is where it all starts, our attitude. What is it that you think of your husband? If we go back to what I said before about men, are sure their wife loves them, but they're not sure they respect them. Have a think about the things you say and do to your husband. When you talk to him, are your words demeaning or are they edifying? Do you make him feel like a fool in what you say? Have some of the words that you said made him doubt his character? Talking about a good man. A man who really loves God. Have your words run him down with other people so that he'd be ashamed to actually walk into a place because he knows that everyone knows everything about him. His failings, all all his weaknesses. Because it's pretty easy to start to focus on those things of someone. But God is calling you to a higher plane as a wife. He's saying, yes, I understand. Maybe your husband isn't the perfect person. But I'm asking you to show him some respect. What is it about him that you can actually focus on? There's got to be something good about him, hasn't there? Didn't you marry him? Wasn't there some qualities that you saw in him and you thought, that's the man I want to be with the rest of my life? And if there wasn't when you got married, maybe there's other reasons you got married. Maybe this is a time that you need to start to take this word in and go, I felt tricked. I felt betrayed. I married this man and I didn't know who he was. But you've determined in your heart, I just want to love him the best way. I want to be a good Christian wife. The best Christian wife I could be. You need to start to find out these things. What is it that I can actually respect in my husband? How can I bring that out? How can I make that something that I focus on and build up within him? Because your job is to start to look over your household. Listen to this in verse 27. She carefully watches everything in her household. 
A wife looks over the house. She sees what's happening. And I found this verse very interesting because we we think about often that the man is the head of the house, so whatever goes on in the house is his responsibility. Totally his responsibility. You know what? It's actually not. Because in here, the Bible's saying she's carefully watching everything in her household. There's something about a wife and a mother that loves the household. I, I know with Joe, like, we've got Michaela, she's going off to uni next year. And I know what I'm like. I could be like, you know, you'll be right. Pack a few clothes, <laughs> off you go. But a woman has something in her, a virtuous woman, a godly woman starts to think about the things that she needs. So I know from the day that we find out she's going, there's got to be the right bedspread, the right pillows, they've all got to be clean and new. We've got to make sure that there's a nice place to stay. We've got to make sure she's got transport. We've got to make sure this, that and the other. Husbands, let your wives have input into the house. Let them be part of how it runs and trust them because God has gifted women with a heart for the household, okay? A godly woman is not only... Sorry. (laughs) It's not only bringing good and not harm, but she's busy. When we look at that woman there, there, there's there's sometimes this um, thing that we have, should a woman work or not? What does God want? What doesn't he want in that area? If you read through that there, you see this lady is very productive, very productive. But it's not just in the household, okay? She's gone out, she's planned the day's work for the servant girls, so she's obviously well cared for. But she goes out, she buys land and she sells it, she makes a profit. Then she plants a vineyard. There's something about a woman of God that is busy doing profitable things. In the New Testament, there's a warning to widows that they should either get married if they can't help it. And one of the reasons is that if you don't get married, you spend your day meddling. You'll have all these things that you don't have to do. It's like, you know the old saying that idle hands are the devil's playground? It's true. I've seen it in my workplaces that I've been at. At workplaces where there's not much to do, a lot of the time, like the fire brigade, man, there's a lot of gossip. This is blokes, mostly. There's a couple of lady ones there, but there's gossip with guys because they're sitting around doing nothing. They've got nothing to do, nothing to keep their mind occupied. And God's saying, if you want to be a godly woman, be who I created you to be. What did God say to Adam and Eve when they first made the garden? Be fruitful and multiply. Go and look after this garden that I've given you. Tend it, look after it. And virtuous, godly women will be busy doing good things. They work. They look after their family. And then it goes on further to say they've got a heart for the poor. They love to give to the poor. So in other words, there's a generosity of spirit and heart in a godly woman. Something that God has placed inside of her energetic and strong, a hard worker. A woman who has wisdom and she gives instruction with kindness. 
That's another thing that I think is hard to do, isn't it? To give instruction with kindness. Especially when you're talking to spouses, husbands, wives. How do you say something kindly? Are you ordering each other around? Is it like, you need to do this, you need to do that? There's no heart of kindness. (laughs) Where does this flow from? This flows from, number one, that relationship with God we're talking about. Someone who has made and devoted their life to fear God. That is why it is so important, as I say to you young guys, find a Christian man, Christian woman, but not just someone who goes to church. Find someone who is committed to God if you're not married and loves the Lord. One of the instructions Paul gives to, to widows again, he says, look, if your husband's dead, you're free to marry again. But I'm going to give you this one little thing here, but only if he loves the Lord. Only if he loves the Lord. Only if he loves the Lord. That's pretty big, isn't it, to understand that? And this is where we get down to those basic things. If we don't love God first, we are going to be terrible at really loving our husband. Or we're going to be terrible at really loving our wife. And I'll keep pushing this week after week, year after year, for as long as I'm behind a pulpit, as long as I'm meeting with people. You need to love God first. You need to love God first. You need to love him first because from God flows love. Why? Because God is love. If you don't understand God, you will never fully understand love. You'll have it in pieces and bits and understand some of it, but you're not going to understand true love. So you need to make sure that you love God first. Now think of this in terms of the church, guys. I probably won't mention any more of those things there today. It's probably enough. But I want you to transfer that over to the church today. All right? Are we a virtuous and capable church? Are we a virtuous and capable church? When you start to look at it, there's so much that we can get out of this in our attitude as a church. Bringing good and not harm, working hard, making profit, selling and buying, not living in a poverty that, that, that allows the word of God and the kingdom of God to be stunted in its growth. Are we working hard for God? It talks about this lady here in verse 18 that her lamp burns late into the night. Sometimes I think the only time our lamp burns late is when we're watching TV or when we're playing games online. (laughs) Not saying those things are wrong, guys. Absolutely not. But what this is saying is that if you're not burning for God, if your whole life is not about God, then it needs to change. It needs to change. As a church, are our dealings profitable? We can think about that in terms of how we are with other people. 
We're, we're urged not to use words that pull down, but to use words of encouragement, words that edify, words that build up. Now, obviously, when we look at that in, in terms of husband and wife, it goes both ways. What do you say to each other? Does it pull each other down? Does it lift each other up? Does it encourage? Does it discourage? Does it add value? Does it take value? And as a church, we are to be the same. Are we adding value to this world? Is what we do here actually adding value? And I love this verse, verse 25. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. You know what a godly woman has? She has a confidence in God. And she's not living in fear for her family, for the things in her life, but she's confidently looking towards the future and she laughs at it. She laughs at the future. She's saying, you know what? I'm confident. I know who I am in God. I know who Jesus made me to be and I'm confident looking towards the future. And as a church, that's the same way we should be, isn't it? We're laughing at the future. We're not looking at the future and saying, oh, it's so hard. I'm so much in despair. We can't do anything. Oh, the devil's attacking. We've got to go, ha, <laughs> I'm not worried about anything. Because I understand who Jesus is. I understand what he's done and what he's doing in this world. And out of this, there comes a blessing. When you live your life for God, there is no doubt that people will see it. As a wife, your husband will see it. Your children will see it. And they're going to say, you are the best wife. You're the best woman ever. Never seen another woman so beautiful. Never seen another woman so generous. Never seen another woman so kind. And these are people who live with you. Think about that. Because we can all put on a face when we're out. We can act like we love each other. We can act like we're caring. We can act like we talk nicely to each other. We know it's true because when you're having a rip and the door's knocked on, (laughs) hi, (laughs) come in, would you like a cup of tea? And everything's good. Maybe it hasn't ever happened to you. Well, you're in the middle of the fight, the phone rings and it's just like, hi, (laughs) nothing's wrong here. But see, when people who live with you start to see your good qualities, that is reality. That is reality. That comes. And it can only come when we submit ourselves to God and understand who we are in him. That love comes out of that. And out of that is a reward. And, And we talked about this when we were talking about husbands. If you are not rewarding your wife, you are failing as a husband. Remember John Cullen was telling me about this. He was reading through it one day and he said, you know what, Neil, I think we need to get rid of that Proverbs 31. (laughs) That last verse at least. He said suddenly he felt such a conviction that he's got to reward his wife for what she does and publicly declare her praises. Husband, this little last verse is just for you. You know what? When you're talking to your mates at work and they're bagging out their wife, which happens, I don't know if you ladies know that, but sometimes men don't talk too nicely about their wives at work. (laughs) Hopefully your husband does. I think he does. 
But they will say things about their wives that are just so horrible. Things like, oh, that stupid cow last night, this, that and the other. Maybe even worse than cow might be the words they use. And they're always whinging and complaining about the things they do and what they've done. Listen, men, you start rewarding your wife. Do you know what she did for you? She gave up her career a lot of the times. She carried kids in her stomach for nine months and gave birth to them, which I understand is quite painful. (laughs) She looks after your household. When you're not at home because you're working and your kids are young, she fed them, she bathed them, she clothed them, she made sure that they had everything they need. And no doubt she loved you. You need to reward your wife. You need to make sure that she knows she is the best woman. And ladies, when your husband tells you that, please believe him, okay? It's frustrating. When you say to your wife, you're just so beautiful. I am not. (laughs) Let him say that, please. Because I tell you what, he probably believes it. (laughs) How about we make that? He definitely does. (laughs) He will believe it. Especially if you're starting to really walk as this this woman here in this passage talks about. I can't help but love Jo. She's amazing. She really is. And when I start to think of all she's doing, I have an obligation to make sure that I reward her If she needs a new dress, buy her a new dress without being grumpy about it and looking at the price tag, which I have been guilty of in the past. (laughs) You know? Don't be a miser. Don't be someone who's always watching the budget because, oh, no, we can't afford that. Sorry, you can't have that. Reward her. Okay, now, of course, we've got the other side where God says, you know, that, that you've got to find a woman who's, you know, good with money as well. And that's what this lady is here. She's not just out to spend her husband's wage in a day and just blow it all on whatever she wants to make her feel good. But there is this tendency of husbands quite often to just be real. Misers is the only word I can think of. They're scabs. They don't want to bless their wife for all she's done. Listen, husbands, just do it. She says, I need to get my hair done. Well, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> my haircut only costs 25 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Good luck for that. They'll probably get their hair washed for 25 bucks. You know, there's nothing much you can do for that for a lady. Us guys are already born, you know. <laughs> Don't need makeup and stuff. Now, look after them. And let her deeds publicly declare praises. Look, guys, when, you, when the guys at work are whinging about their wives, don't join in. Don't join in. Just say, oh, yeah, my wife's amazing. Don't be a big braggart. But, you know, <laughs> let them know. Oh, really? Well, my wife's really great. She made this great dinner last night for me. What a lovely woman she is, you know. 
You know, my wife did this, my wife did that. She's just wonderful. Start to declare those things publicly. Because I know that husbands do love their wives. They married them. And if there's trouble, you need to start to turn that around. You need to start to make sure that you admit it. And then you get back to the truth, which is the Word of God, which is the only thing that can really change you. Because the Word of God changes hearts, not just actions. When it starts to flow from your heart. Okay, guys, that's it. Come on, music team. Let's praise God. It might be actually handy. Just have a look through that Proverbs 31 this week yourselves. Just have a ponder about it. Read a few verses a day and just think about it and start to apply that to your life as a lady, as a wife, as a future wife. But also start to apply it to yourself, men, and have a look at that in regard to your walk with God and as a church. Am I acting like this? Is this who I am? So that's homework this week. Homework this week, read through Proverbs 31 and don't read it with the attitude that this is ridiculous. I cannot do that. I'm not that person. Can I tell you what? Everybody here can and is that person because Jesus Christ has made you that person and you can do it.